and welcome to episode number two of the Trust Your Body Project podcast. Um, that's a mouthful. On today's episode, we're talking to Evelyn Triboli. She is the co-creator of Intuitive Eating, literally co-wrote the book. Um, and so we talk about a lot of things that you're going to find fascinating, um, including, you know, she's only been on Instagram now two months and she's really started to find out what Um, intuitive eating has morphed into online. And so she talks a lot about that, how she feels about it, you know, what intuitive eating is and what it isn't. And she gives some really, you know, real insight into what it's like for her and what her process has been. Um, And she's just, she's awesome. She is so friendly. And I'm just really excited to be starting the podcast off with this interview. So I hope you enjoyed that. So for the appetizer today, I'm going to keep this short and sweet, but I wanted to quickly lay some groundwork for you so that you understand a little bit more about um, why intuitive eating is so important. So I'm going to link to an article in the show notes, but basically, and one of the things that I want you to be aware of is that whenever I link to research, it's going to use the O word, um, that medical term for fat. And so if you're you know sensitive to that, um, definitely there's a trigger warning there that whenever you're reading medical literature, it's that's going to come up. Um, So just be aware of that. There's a lot of stigmatizing language, but um, I wanted to talk quickly about this one article that I'm linking to. So it's called Weight Science Evaluating the Evidence for a Paradigm Shift. It was written by Linda Bacon and Lucy Affermore, um, published in the Nutrition Journal in 2011. And I'm not going to go over it in too much detail, although I will probably end up posting the audio of what I said directly to my Patreon, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, But basically this article, if you have a lot of questions about, you know, why a weight neutral approach to health, so focusing on health regardless of if weight loss happens and why, you know, actually taking the focus away from weight loss entirely is necessary for health and why it's actually supported by evidence. And, um, then I would definitely encourage you to read through this article or listen to the analysis or the review of it that I am going to post on Patreon. Um, So it debunks a lot of assumptions around weight and health. And so this idea that being in a bigger body puts you at a higher risk for disease or puts you at higher risk for death, um, or even that, you know, weight loss is possible and successful. So those numbers that you hear about like 95% of people who lose weight in dieting interventions like research studies, regain the weight within three to five years. Um, this is where this is where a lot of the research on that, um, at least as far as 2011, is summarized. So I definitely would encourage you to go check that out. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes because it's really important to have like an intellectual basis for understanding where this is coming from. If you're having a hard time like wrapping your head around why maybe what you learn from doctors or from your parents or whatever it is isn't necessarily true, nor is it backed by the research. So I'm going to, and this is also the foundation for health at every size, right? And so I'm going to link to that and I would definitely encourage you to take a look at that. So intuitive eating, what it is, is it's a weight neutral approach to health. It allows you to learn how to listen to your body and uh, tune into your hunger and fullness cues and and listen to your satisfaction and be able to feed your body in a way that feels nourishing and good. Um, so without focusing on weight. Uh, And this article does explain a little bit about that, but it more so just gives the evidence behind why this is actually better for our health. 
So this podcast is brought to you by my Patreon. If you want to join a community of supportive and compassionate people dedicated to healing their relationship with food, head on over to WhitneyCatalano.com slash podcast to learn more. So by becoming a monthly patron, not only will you get loads of exclusive content and support from me, but you will also be directly supporting the creation of this podcast, which is like so, so appreciated. And I have a Facebook group that you'll you'll join. If you don't have Facebook, I also post the content directly to the Patreon feed. And yeah, I really appreciate every single person. Every dollar um, makes a huge difference in my life for being able to promote and produce this podcast. So I really, really appreciate it. And also, if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I've already had so many reviews. I'm um, re-recording this intro after I've literally recorded this like six times because I talk too much. <laughs> so I'm re-recording this um, after I'd already like announced that the trailer was up and I've had so many people go and rate and leave reviews and I'm just like, oh, I'm so grateful. So thank you so much for that. I am like beyond, beyond grateful. You have no idea. So without further ado, we're going to get into the main dish, which is our conversation with Evelyn Triboli. I am so beyond grateful that she came on this podcast and I get to launch a podcast with her. I just like, this is literally my like nerdy nutrition dreams come true. So can't wait for you to hear this and more information about Evelyn will be in the show notes as well. So I'm curious, I mean, just to start things out, tell me a little bit about how you and you and Elise kind of discovered intuitive eating and what you were doing beforehand. Oh my God. You know, it's kind of an interesting story because we were both in private practice separately, although I was in her building, I was leasing from her. And the, the short story is what we were doing did not, was not working, you know, using these beautiful exchanges, doing weight loss stuff, thinking we're doing it the healthy way, the dietitian way. And uh, folks would lose weight and they'd come back in with the weight gained. And it's like, this is not working. This process is not working. And so we, um, Called together our clinical skills and then went deep dive into the research and came up with this process to uh, look at a whole different way of eating. Yeah, it's amazing. I really relate to that because I think there was something, even back when I was dieting and kind of stuck in my disordered relationship with food, I feel like there was something always that didn't quite sit right with me about the whole weight management thing that yeah. you're taught as a dietitian. Yeah. Um, so how long were you both practicing in sort of the traditional weight management? Well, let me think. Okay. So the book came out in 95. I've been a dietitian since 84. So that's about 10 years practicing, you know? Wow. And I will tell you what just thrills me because now we train and certify health professionals in this process is I get, I just had a dietitian out of, oh, where was it? Sweden or Denmark? And she's been a dietitian for 20 years. She just literally came across intuitive eating, was never taught it, and started working this way with her clients. She goes, I cannot believe what a game changer this is. How come we didn't know about this sooner? And <laughs> yeah. I see this with other dietitians who are newly coming out of college. We didn't learn this in university, you know? Right. What the heck? And, but the cool thing is there's actually a lot of university programs that, that to require our book is reading and in different uh, nutrition schools and psychology schools and so on. And so people are getting exposed. And what's so exciting is you can say, on the one hand, our book was research inspired, but now there's over 90 studies on our work showing benefit. It's like this universal 
model of eating. And I'm, I, I just, I have such a passion for it because not only do you change lives, but your own life changes being a witness to this unfolding. It's so beautiful and it sounds mushy, but it's so true. And it's such a gratifying work, way to work with people, you know? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I know when I first read the book, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing. This is, yeah. this is the key. And it makes so much sense. Even health at every size, you know, reading the book and reading Body Respect um, and just reading the studies around it, there's obviously that sort of internal tug that happens on like, this goes against everything that I've been yeah. taught, yeah. but it still makes instinctual sense. Um, well, and that's that's the thing. And, you know, I, I work with a fair amount of, again, they tend to be more dietitians because they've been been trained in the weight management medical model. And they and they, I've got some right now, right now in a training and, and they're emailing me, probably go, my mind is being blown and I'm feeling really bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, that, I don't, I'm not laughing at that. It's like you're right where you should be because you're in a place right now of cognitive dissonance that hmm. what you've learned you're seeing is not true because I, I slam them with a bunch of studies. It's like if you don't understand why it's so important to be aligned with health at every size and that dieting doesn't work, you're going to have a hard time doing this work. And so they're deep diving into this. And it's like, no, it doesn't feel good in, in the beginning because you're trying to sort it through and good for you that you're taking the time to read uh, the research and, and do it differently. And once, you know what happens? Like once you're woke, you can't pretend that you didn't see that anymore. And that's both with my patients and with the health professionals that I teach, you know, all of a sudden it's just like, oh my goodness. As, as I'm seeing such a... Um, what is the word? We, we are, I think we really are in the midst of a paradigm shift right now. We're on the edge of it where it's finally starting to tip over. Um, as you know, I just newly got on Instagram and I'm so <laughs> pleasantly surprised to see what I would call my people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, people yeah. really championing intuitive eating. <clears throat> The health at every size and, and so on. And I, I, to be honest, I didn't realize we were getting so much support uh, from our, from our, our peers. This was so exciting to see. So it gives me great hope. And that once we see, an, an, well, let me back up. One of my most frustrating things I see, I just had this discussion with someone who's in one of my supervision sessions and her professor, get this, doesn't believe the data. It's like, mm. wait a minute, this is ah. not a religion. And this is about, <laughs> you know, decide for yourself, but did you actually read it, you know, and belief system isn't, isn't about this process. It might seem that way on the outside, but start reading all the research on intuitive eating, start reading all the research on, on how dieting doesn't work. And, and what I do now is I flip it. It's like, show me the day where this works and it's sustainable. And right. they can't because it doesn't exist. And then their brain hurts, you know, it's like, we've got to be doing this differently. This is causing suffering. It's causing right. weight stigma. Yeah. Yeah. Weight stigma. Oh my gosh. That is kind of the biggest thing that blew my mind because it makes so much sense. Again, all of this makes some sort of in instinctual sense, but you know, we, we have plenty of understanding about how trauma is carried in the body and it, you know, creates health issues. And so of course, weight stigma is going to be part of this. Yeah, I have. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it's, it's a really interesting issue right now because there are so many social justice, social justice issues going on, the intersectionality of them. Um, but it just, just blows me away. Uh, the amount of pain that people have, have been through thinking in their bodies could be better. They've been on a zillion diets. They, but they were on a diet since their age of two their parents put them on and so they've never trusted um, their bodies to begin with so it's just it's heartbreaking what that does to a person 
It is really heartbreaking. And I think one of the interesting things and one of my favorite parts of intuitive eating is how you talk about um, how food scarcity as a child, not just from being restricted, maybe your parents put you on a diet or whatever, but if you're low income or there was just, you know, um, a chaotic source of food, so sometimes you'd have food in the house, sometimes not, that can lead to long-term disordered eating patterns. That is, that fascinates me because I know I see that in a lot of my clients. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny, I, I, you hit the nail on the head, and that is you can be present day an adult that has plenty of access to food, no food scarcity, but when you've suffer, suffered that trauma uh, at, at a younger age, it's something that the body remembers, you know, and it's amazing how often that gets triggered, and then once you, someone starts dieting or call it whatever you want to, because now the diet culture is getting so sneaky, they call it other kinds of things, and uh, it's like the cells remember, it's like, oh my God, you're trying to kill us, you know, <laughs> we didn't have food, we didn't know we made food on the table and and so it becomes this collective resistance on a biological and psychological level yeah. i think it's so important to understand that and i will never forget that i i work with a fair amount of health professionals as patients and I, I love that and had someone say to me you know i swear to you evelyn every time i sit down to a meal i really believe it's the last time and i know logically it's not true i have plenty of money and i have the means and so we started looking at her history where food scarcity was an issue growing up, but then looking at her willful dieting, how that actually uh, mimicked the scarcity and re reproduced the trauma. And as we were talking about this, she goes, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Because before she didn't understand why it seemed like it was the last time she was going to eat every time. If you look at it through the lens of a traumatic perspective, it makes sense, you know? It does make sense. And looking at it through the lens, and I mean, I'm just a kind of a big nerd for this stuff, but looking at it through the lens of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. and oh, yeah. And seeing how if you don't have that basic need of like safety and food, and I think shelter is the other one on that level, um, you're not going to be able to get past that. Like that is, you have to fill those needs first before you can kind of work on the higher level stuff, you know, emotional satisfaction or fulfillment in your job or whatever it is. Because if you're not getting your basic needs met, then that's all that matters. You're absolutely right. And, and I think where people have trouble with this is they're thinking present day that they do have their needs met. But, mm -hmm. but if it keeps getting threatened, instead of healing, there's more traumatization that happens. So every time you go on a diet, it's like the, the cells aren't getting the food anymore. And so it creates this scarcity mentality. You're not sure why, um, but, but, but there you have it. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing to watch. And just, I think uh, one of the things that blows me away every single time is watching how watching clients make that connection between eating and I guess self-care um if that's oh, yeah. the right way to phrase it of just like e eating enough for your body is like fundamentally you just taking care of your body it's not anything more anything less than that it's not you know you don't have to earn your food it's just yeah. you feeding yourself yeah, and that kills me. People think they have to earn their food. It's oh, like you don't even have to, quote, deserve your food. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Right. We're biological beings. And sometimes I'll even say, when I have patients who are dog lovers and I happen to be a dog lover, it's like, would you withhold food from your doggy, from your little puppy dog? Mm. Like, no. Like, well, why? Why? 
you, you do it to yourself, right. <laughs> you know, and it's really a profound discussion. So sometimes I find that people have trouble seeing their own stories, but sometimes they have a better time seeing it through the lens of their puppy or through the lens of their, how they would treat their children or their loved one or their best friend or something. Totally. Yeah. I talk about that a lot. How, um, you know, we, we oftentimes treat other people a lot better than we treat ourselves. And that's true to be but able I'll tell to, you what, yeah. Oh, go ahead. It's, it's, to me, it's a good sign. And then my patients say, what? Because they're all pissed off at me. And <laughs> when I say something profound, <laughs> and I say, it means you're capable. You just gave me an example of what you'd say to their kid when, you know, they got teased or, or something, or they ate too much pizza or something. And you did it in such a beautiful, loving way. It shows that you've got the wisdom inside of you. We just need to have you turn it on yourself. And that exactly. takes practice. Exactly. Yeah. This this whole focus on weight in childhood, and I'm not going to say oh. the epidemic, but just that whole thing really stresses me out too and just really, really infuriates me because I, I have so many clients who have told me these traumatic stories of having their BMI like shouted out in front of all their clients or <sighs> all their peers. And it's like they're in fourth grade, fifth grade. It's just it's maddening. <laughs> what well, is? And it's all these shaming issues. And then it's um, it's such a violation too for the child in terms of someone putting them on a diet on, on one aspect or reading out personal information, which by the way, as you know, the BMI really has has no merit. It was never meant to be a one-on-one thing. It just drives me um, nuts. But, but, but a kid starts not to believe and trust their body. They're given a very powerful message that you cannot be trusted with, with food. And one of the things I'm so excited about right now, a, a trend, uh, is baby-led weaning, which to me is, is intuitive eating for, for toddlers. You know, when you're, mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're transitioning babies to, to solid foods, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. There's a, <laughs> it's kind of a little hobby of mine. There's an account on Instagram called Feeding Littles, and I love watching the stories because they have kid after kid sitting in these high chairs and putting food all over everywhere except in their mouth, but they're directing their own eating, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just, um, it's a beautiful thing to see. And I think what that's doing on one level, it's helping the parents to trust that their kids' bodies actually work because they're growing appropriately. You know, it's, it's wonderful. Oh yeah. That sense of trust is really important, but when you're, you know, shoving food down your kid's mouth or you're withholding it, uh, the the message is you can't be trusted with your, your body. And that's why I really, one of my little mantras is, is every time you feel hunger, first of all, it means your body's awake. It means your body's working, but every time you feel hunger and you're responsive to that, you're rebuilding trust with you and your body one, one bite at a time. And Trust is a huge, huge issue. It's interesting when it's been looked at. I was having a conversation with um, Tracy Tilka, who's done some of the seminal research on intuitive eating. And I said, you know, I think if you would have um, measured or evaluated for trust, you would have seen that come out as an issue. There was a, a study on adolescent kids, about 800 of them in um, Texas, where they looked at, hmm, can we take the intuitive eating scale? Does it apply to, to kids? And, and so what? And what they found was, yes, 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 and there's a so what factor. And the so what factor is that this applies to kids, but what they found in their research, because they looked for it, is that these kids needed to trust, it, trust that their body cues actually work, mm-hmm. you know? And for a great majority of the clients I see, that's what they're coming in with. They've read the book. They get it intellectually, but they have this great fear that there's something broken about them. They don't trust that their body works. And as I look at their history, you know, when you've been on a lot of diets, how can you expect your body to behave or react consistently when you don't treat it consistently and nice? And then if this has been starting since you've been a 
a child, it's a, it's a very uh, confusing message, you know? Totally. And so what, yeah. do, what do you think has been some of the, or I guess one of the most powerful ways you've gone about um, helping people discover that trust in themselves? Oh, you know, I, one of the ways I do it, and, it, and it's very subtle. It's, I don't even think it's in, in any of the books, but I, I call it pointing out and noticing when your body's working. So I'll, I'll give you a classic example. I'll have a patient that'll come in and they're pissed off because they overate, you know, at some point in the week. And as we look at the events that went on, it's like, oh, well, geez, you had lunch at 11, you had a meeting after work, and then you worked out and you got home, and it's been eight hours since you ate. It's kind of understandable that your body was in primal hunger. It was actually working to have that intensity of hunger. I realize you don't like how that felt, but your body was working. So Mm -hmm. I started having them, first, I do the pointing out of when it's working, but I have them to start, no, it's like your body's working. Like your Mm -hmm. body's working. Yeah, it's annoying to be hungry in the middle of a meeting, but guess what? It's working. It's working. Hey, did you notice you got full? Oh my God. Yeah. You know, so these little tiny things, because one of the aspects, it's really common to want to focus on the problems. That's why I'm there. I'm helping to solve some of these problems. But also it's important to look at what were the causes and conditions that allowed you to trust your body, that this week was an awesome week. And I I can't tell you how many patients I've had that said, I don't know, you know, or then they'll say, oh, I did what you said. And that's, it's kind of nice, but that's not helpful for them. And I'll say, well, let's take a look at what those things are that you acted upon because having them feel empowered and know this is their power, not mine. I'm just opening up the door is really, really critical. And we'll deconstruct it. And I'll say, well, it looks like as we went through this week that you honored your hunger. Oh yeah. Uh, and when you had that dessert, you gave yourself permission to eat. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then when you got pulled, it was it you were able to stop. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? And so in the beginning, they're not quite seeing how it's happening. They're surprised by it, but they're not certain about it. But every time you can point out this, is why it's happening they get a little more confident and they get a little more trust in in the process so it's really really cool yeah that is really cool and it in the way that I practice I always talk about these like little wins like celebrating those little wins because we can get so focused you're right on on the things that aren't going well or the problems the issues and and focusing on what's not going well is never helpful it's 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 good to be aware of them and face them but we gotta celebrate these little things and like notice yeah yeah, we, 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 we learn from the things that are, that are challenging, but you're right. Um, and I'll tell you one of my favorite examples, maybe a lot of people can relate to this, is when they, I've had this happen a lot, where, where patients will go on vacation. They're gone for a week or two, and it was so easy. There was no binging. They moved their body, you know, all these kinds of stuff. And they'll come back, and they just, I don't understand it. And I go, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I say, you want to know what I think? And they'll say, yeah. And I said, you got your needs for being met. You yep. weren't over working, you got enough sleep, you're having some downtime, you're having some pleasure, uh, you implemented the principles of intuitive eating. So to me, what this shows you, this is a snapshot of what life could be like when your needs are getting met. So let's take a look at how we can look at getting your needs met in everyday life when everything is hitting the fan. I go, oh. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And- go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, this kind of reminds me too of um, trying to teach intuitive eating to like really, really busy women who, who really uh, overbook themselves and, and love to take care of everyone except for themselves. And that's kind of aha moment of like, oh yeah, you actually are a lot happier and a lot more able to show up in your life when you're prioritizing yourself. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really big key. And you know, it is a challenge because it's, we are living in, in busy times. And I just had this conversation with the patient today and I said, you know, you, 
you don't have to be a monk and sit and meditate and light a candle every time you eat. That's not right. what intuitive eating is. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes it kind of gets reified that way. And it's, it's wonderful if you, if you can eat like that sometimes, but it's mm-hmm. not real life. Um, it's, and so sometimes I'll have uh, patients, I, I call it the three-bite technique, where the idea of you just sitting and being present with one meal with no distraction is, is like I'm killing them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'll say, well, what if you, you just were present for three bites? The first right. bite, the middle bite, and, and the last bite. It, and it's, it's amazing. Oh, I can do that. <laughs> right. But there's something that seems insufferable about sitting with a meal and connecting to the taste and to the experience of eating. And I, I think that's more than an issue of busyness because they were going to spend the time sitting and eating anyway. It's, it's this idea of this constantly being on, you know? Mm. And totally. I, I once had a, a group of uh, Russian psychologists I trained, believe it or not, I had a translator and they're out of Moscow. Wow. And they were, they were telling me that, you know, they really view that eating is, is a sacred time. It's like, it's, it can be like meditation if, if you want to take a look at it in that way of, of nurturing and caring for your body. And the way they described it was really quite, quite beautiful, you know? Yeah, I really love that. And I think it's interesting too, because I see a lot of, you know, mindful eating stuff online that's like weight loss oriented. It drives me nuts. And put your fork down between each bite or like whatever prescriptive mindful eating exercise that has been co-opted. And um, I think that's something that's interesting is, is trying to differentiate between those two with my clients and being like, okay, there's a difference between like trying to force yourself to eat less by like sitting in dead silence and like putting your fork down between each bite and like trying to like self-regulate in that way and just noticing where you are in the moment, noticing the taste, noticing the flavors, and then maybe you zone out for the rest of the meal, but you take that moment to like appreciate. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be more than that. Mm -mm. It doesn't have to be a big old project. And yet, and yet, and yet, I've had some really interesting situations with clients who realized they weren't ready to do the work. Mm. (laughs) So they read the book, and I'll never forget, I was working with this one, and she said, you know, Evelyn, I think this has merit. I'm very, I'm convinced now I'm never, ever going to diet again. So thank you for that. She goes, but I'm not willing to take the time to check in. And I said, gosh, that's so honest. I really appreciate your honesty. And I said, and I have to be honest back that at some point it's important to be connecting with your body, especially if we're relearning this after, after dieting, you know, so to have the expectation that you can just read a book or have an understanding is not the same thing as, as the doing. And I'd say the same thing to health practitioners that, you know, just reading intuitive eating and even the research is not enough in order to uh, cultivate this process. You know, training is really needed sometimes to unlearn some of the stuff that you've learned, but also just to cultivate the, the skill set that's um, needed in this, in this process. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, um, that, that kind of reminds me of just one question that I had for you about sort of what you think of how the intuitive eating or how intuitive eating in general has kind of morphed online. Cause now you're, you're oh. in this Instagram world. I'm and, in it. Yeah. yeah. So tell me what you think about that. I am be blunt with you. Well, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be blunt in both ways, Please. all the ways actually. So there's one part of me that's just thrilled to see how it's just taken off and being mm-hmm. embraced by health professionals, and it's got a hashtag with almost a million posts on it. And then 
oh my God, I'm just going to be honest. I'm yeah. reading some of the stuff and I'm there like, what the fuck is this? You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm sorry. It's just, it's like some coach talking about counting macros, you know, mm-hmm. and then intuitive eating, uh, looking for weight loss. And that's not intuitive eating. It's, it's a perversion and it's a bastardization of, of, of the process. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've had to, it's interesting that you asked this question because I've had to come to a decision on, I would get people contacting me. It's like, hey, someone's, you know, using your work in a way it's not supposed to. And if I respond to every single instance that happens, it's like, I came here to do some good in the world and to shed some light <laughs> and add stuff, but to go and reinforce everything is a lot of negative energy, mm-hmm. you know? So I thought, what is my best practice here? What's the best use of my time? And so I'm just going to continue to post really good content and hopefully people are going to start to figure it out. I, I also just started a new hashtag called Intuitive Eating Official just to let people know this is actually, <laughs> um, you know, not involved with any, one of the biggest things I, 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 God, I keep posting on it because I keep seeing issues of this is that if someone is offering you weight loss as, you know, offering intuitive eating as a method of weight loss, run away fast because they don't understand what intuitive eating is. Yeah. And that just drives me crazy. Drives yeah. Me it's like they didn't even read the intro to the book, let alone the book. <laughs> yeah. They totally missed it. You know, the, it's um, like the first thing you talk about. It's yeah, the, it's like the right out the gate. You and Elise are like, okay, no, like this yeah. diets don't work. Like we're not here yeah. to manipulate your weight. That's what it is. And yeah, it, and we're not against weight loss. Some people do lose weight. Some people don't. Some people, some people gain weight. You know. And and by the way, sometimes I do engage when there's a health professional posting who's an influencer. Then I'll go and say, hey, you know what? This is a misrepresentation of our, our work. But if I did that with every single thing. I don't think I would move forward. I'd constantly be in this place of defending and that's negative energy. And I want, right. I want to do a positive vibe in the world, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I think at a certain point, you know, uh, with the way that diet culture is and the way that everything gets morphed into sort of this weight loss, like it's kind of like a, I, and I hate to use this phrase. I'm realizing it's like a have your cake and eat it too kind of thing, um, <laughs> which is like you're trying to have your weight loss and intuitive eating. And you can't, you like literally just eat the cake. You know what I mean? Like you just yeah. can't, you, uh, that, and now I need a new phrase because I'm realizing like, hmm, I don't know if I like <laughs> using Well, and I have to be really clear here. It's, it's understandable when a consumer wants weight loss. We live in a diet culture world. Right. So I totally get that. So my, my aim here for this criticism is that the health professionals and pseudo health professionals offering up intuitive eating as a weight loss thing. That yes. is wrong. It's ethically wrong. It's a violation of the work. It's a violation of the, the studies. Uh, you know, intuitive eating is very much haze aligned, health at every size aligned. Yes. And so what, what happens is when people are doing that is their ignorance is showing, it is mm-hmm. showing big time. So, I, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I get a lot of, you know, questions and feedback as well of just like, oh, you know, you're asking me to clarify basically if I'm against losing weight or if I, or if you should never want to lose weight again. It's like, no, I'm never, I'm literally never talking about that. Like I'm, I'm never, ever, ever saying that someone shouldn't want to lose weight. We live in a culture that is like continuously reinforcing that message. It's very hard to escape that. I'm saying that there's another way that you don't have to lose weight in order to be happy or successful or like healthy or whatever it is that these assumptions have been made and these these connections have been made in diet culture. It's just like, you can just learn to like live your life intuitively and you can, and the research is there. Like we got, we have yeah, the research. So cool. It is so cool. I think what makes it really, really hard, however, you know, is when Elise and I did the first edition of intuitive eating, 
diet culture was kind of like in diapers. It, mm. it was basically the dieting industry and the beauty industry. But, you know, almost 25 years uh, later, what we have now is the healthcare industry. And that's what's really hurting people. You know, right. when, it, when it comes from your own doctor, that's a problem. It, it warms my heart, however, to see these younger doctors coming up uh, and realizing that there's not the research behind this weight loss idea that has been um, put upon us by so many different kinds of policies. And, 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 and this has been such a big issue that we're actually going to be updating uh, intuitive eating once again for our, our 25th uh, anniversary edition, but also a fourth edition to really look at diet culture. Because the thing is, like you said, it's everywhere, like fish to water. And you might think some things are normal and, and not be able, be able to identify it. So one of the first steps is just to be able to identify, oh, that's diet culture. That's diet culture, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious in this update, um, are you going to be, because I noticed in a few of the chapters in the book, I don't remember. I feel like the workbook was a little bit more cleaned up, I guess, but I did notice that um, the O word, which I don't say on this podcast, has mm -hmm. is still in the book a few times. What is your stance on using that word outside of obviously reading medical literature? That's a good question. So let me say this, you know, with every... I'll speak for myself and then, then I'll generalize. <laughs> you know, this is an evolution. You know, Elise and I have evolved and right. we were just taking a look because we haven't read the, the, our last edition. God, that came out in 2012. So that was, you know, <laughs> seven years ago. Yeah. I haven't read it since then. It was actually probably eight years ago because, you know, you, you've, you finish it before it's published. Right. And there's some weight stigmatizing phrases in there. And that's a problem. So we're taking it out. You know, we're right. doing better. And actually, even the third edition was better because we got uh, some, uh, some other stuff taken out of the book. So we keep evolving. So my stance right now, I had a discussion with Elise on the term obesity, but I have a big problem with it because they've medicalized and, and made body size a problem where it hasn't been a problem. You know, in 2013, the American Medical Association took a vote to say, oh, we think it's a disease. And actually, let me, let me back up. Their research committee looked at all the data and said, you know what, there's not enough research to say O, o word is a, is a is a disease, mm -hmm. and the whole uh, AMA voted against them. That was their mm -hmm. just their opinion. So that's a huge huge problem. It causes so much stigma, and the data the data just aren't there. And yeah. so yeah, so I think that's probably we'll probably take that word out. And I just it's interesting right now in my current training I have going on. I had a health professional email me a question, and she said, Evelyn, I can't believe it was a statement with a question, how much stigma is in the research that you've sent us? And I go, oh my God, I am so used to reading past the stigmatizing words, right. but there's so much stigma. Even in some of the intuitive eating research, they will tie it up with a nice little bow and say, oh, and intuitive eaters have lower body mass mm -hmm. index, and therefore yeah. it's better. And it's like, this is not what it was designed for. However, for all the naysayers that have these fears that, oh, if you let people eat whatever they want, it's going to be mayhem. It puts them at ease. And part of the problem is when a lot of funding right now, research funding is, is for that, for mm -hmm. weight loss, researchers then write grants to support that common, you know, theme. But there's something, it's funny, I'm going to do a post on this. Um, have you ever heard of the Simmelweis reflex? No. Okay, so Simmelweis reflex was named after a doctor. And it's a tragic story, and it's a doctor, I think it was in the 1800s, it was before 
well, it was a long time ago. And he's the one that discovered that if you don't wash your hands as a doctor while helping a woman give birth, you could kill the woman. And he discovered that and did a little study on that. And he was laughed and scoffed at by his medical peers. And he wrote papers and it was so bad. And unfortunately, he ended up committing suicide over this. And then it was just a few years later, Louis Pasteur came out and discovered that bacteria, this invisible thing, is indeed the cause of many diseases. So he got uh, exonerated. So they named this phenomenon after him. And the phenomenon being that when there is a, a, a popular belief system, a popular paradigm that does not, uh, it's a popular paradigm that everyone's buying into. And when new research comes to refute it and people don't believe it, it's a Semmelweis reflex. I think mm-hmm. we're being Semmelweis right now. We'll look back one day and realize that's what this was all about. Totally. That uh, health professionals have been hijacked by diet culture as well. And I think there's actually something uh, strangely reassuring about that. that. Oh, wait a minute. Look, this has happened before in medicine. So if we right. can acknowledge that this happened, that there's a name for it, why can't we say? There was a big uh, paper published in the New York Times maybe a month ago on sodium research. And researchers were now coming out and saying, you know what? I think we made a mistake here. We think mm. we made too big of a deal. And I thought, oh, it's so nice to see some humble pie coming out. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if we're going to see this happening in medicine. But I think what's going to make uh, the road a little tougher to hoe, or is that the word? Oh, this is going to make it tougher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I said that wrong. It becomes a money-making industry. You know, weight right. loss surgeries, weight loss this, that now we've got big companies whose um, uh, profits are at stake. And when you have researchers whose whole job has been about researching, you know, uh, shrinking down a body size, they have a lot of vested interests. So mm-hmm. I think, however, with the phenomenon of social media and younger researchers getting onto this, um, we'll see this shake down sooner than, than later. But I think we have our work cut out for us still. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I do see, I, I feel very hopeful seeing what's happening online. In fact, you know, it's so funny. I just did a little post on this. It's like when, when patients ask me, is it okay to eat healthy? It, it's, it cracks me up. But <laughs> yeah. it's actually, it's, there's usually something bigger behind that. So I like to unpack it. Like, well, what is your concern about eating healthy, you know? Right. And usually underneath all that is a fear. I'm going to go back to diet culture. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so understandable. And then we have to look at what's the intention behind the behavior. And usually they'll say something like, well, I want to feel better. <laughs> I don't feel good eating donuts for breakfast or whatever it might be. No judgment. But I, I think what happens is they're feeling so much better emotionally, psychologically, energetically, um, that when you take, that's, that's the beauty. When you take away the guilt and the judgment around eating, you're left with the direct experience, mm-hmm. you know? And, and what we don't talk enough about is actually when you eat well, it feels pretty good, you right. know? It actually feels pretty good. And when you know you can have a food over and over again, it's not about, I'm never going to have it if I don't have it right now. You get to really, you know, figure that out. So that's, that's the beauty of this. And I think we don't hear so much about that in, in the media because it's not as exciting as, you know, eating donuts and all these other foods. Like, I think donuts has become the, that's the other thing I noticed on social media, pink frosted donuts seem to be the poster oh. child for intuitive I, eating, not officially. And I think that was like accidentally all Laura Thomas. And I don't know if she started it or if it found her, but like her brand has become almost like this intuitive eating, like benchmark of like, if you're not eating pink frosted donuts, what are you doing? Whereas I've <laughs> never had a, I mean, maybe I've had one pink frosted donut, but it's, <laughs> I, I do get it, but it's, it is very funny to, to watch how, cause that is like her imagery <laughs> of yeah. food freedom or just eat it or, or her new book literally has that pink donut on it. Um, and it's, it is very funny. That is, <laughs> that definitely is what the media has portrayed it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I have to, you know, to kind of close things out here, I have to ask you um, a question that I've been asking everyone, which is, what is your definition or like, how do you see self-care? And what is a, what is self-care to you? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's, you know what real self-care is to me? It's the boring mundane stuff. It's, um, it's not the stuff you get excited about, like a massage or getting your nails done. It's about uh, getting enough sleep in such a way that you feel uh, rested and refreshed when, when you wake up. It's, it's setting loving boundaries. Uh, It's saying no to things you want to say yes, but realizing if you're split in a million directions, you're going to wear yourself out. And so for me personally, my personal challenge with self-care is sleep. I'm like a little kid. And once I I read a lot, and once I start reading something, I want to drill down deeper. And I get excited (laughs) about something like, oh my God, I got to get to bed. Okay, just one more thing, one more thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So sometimes I share that with my patients because I, I don't want to give this perception that this is an easy journey. This is all about being human and having conflicting pulls on, on, on doing different kinds of things. I'm just thrilled that people know what self-care is. I used to have to explain it and why it's mm. important. And now it's like, oh yeah, I know I need to get some sleep. Oh yeah, yeah, self-care. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. So now what I find is people have this idea that it's a she-she timeout, you know, getting a massage or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but I really think self-care needs to be not just the mundane day-to-day things that make us feel good and vibrant, but it can't always be something you're spending money on, you know, right. because you can't afford to do those things all, all the time. So we need to be realistic about it. Right. And, and spending past your means is not self-care because that never feels no. good. Yeah. No. And it feels good in the moment, but not when you get the bill. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know, I, tell you, I learned that the hard way early in my career. I've, I tell you, I've been really humbled. And I had a patient and she was, you know, had a lot of binge eating. And we talked about doing some other activity. We didn't frame it as self-care, but she decided shopping would be fabulous. Mm. I thought, oh, what a great idea. And then I got a call from her therapist. It's like, Evelyn, <laughs> you know, this patient has a history of compulsive shopping. What the hell oh. are you doing? And it's like, I had no idea. I had no idea. So I've learned to be careful, you know? I'm going to give you another example. I love this mistake because it shows we have to be careful. I had another woman I was working with that I wanted her to really be connected to eating. And for some reason, dinner seemed like a good meal to do it. And I was saying like, oh, what about eating with your husband? And it sounded like a pretty good idea. She seemed on board. But looking back, this was somebody I had only seen maybe on the third session and someone who's on the quiet side. And I got a call from her therapist and said, Evelyn, do you know that she's in an abusive relationship with this uh-huh. man? I, said, I had no idea. So the good news of these stories, I don't say this to be self-denigrating, but one, it's how important it is to be communicating with the whole healthcare team when you're, when you're doing things and that we have to learn and grow and be humbled, you know, by right. these uh, experience. I was very humbled. It's like, oh, just because you think you know, doesn't mean that you know. So I've learned to ask things like, what do you think? Has this ever been an issue for you? Is this something you would like to do? And when I'm looking at at self-care, it's also something that when you finish doing it, way in the aftermath, you feel better because of it, not worse. Right. You know? Yeah. And if you yeah. have big old long bills, that's stressful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good way for people to, to sort of conceptualize, you know, when, when it kind of gets into that sticky territory, when people are first learning about it and they're like, well, what's wrong with healthy eating? Like I thought you're supposed to want to health, like eat healthfully or whatever. And it's like, well, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but like, are you doing it in a way that feels bad? <laughs> because <laughs> if you're doing it in a way that feels like more bad than it does good, then like we need to look at that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's a really nice defining way of that. Yeah, if it makes you feel bad, there suggests there might be a problem there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like then what's the, what, why are we doing it? Cause this isn't, you can't guarantee that eating healthily, for example, is going to like prevent diseases or do all these things. So it's like, if you're doing it in a way that's stressing you out and making you feel bad, then we need to, we need to reevaluate. Well, and stress is the weakest link of everything. It just amplifies. In fact, it's even shown now just, oh my gosh, just one, um, Bout, I think I forget how long it was of weight stigma was enough to raise A1C in uh, patients with type two diabetes. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Wow. So this whole stress thing, we have to. The mind body has a big communication that we don't even know about. You know, we, we're walking around like this human Wi-Fi inside of us. So all this conversation going on that we have no idea how mm. it's affecting our body. It's, it's, yeah. It fascinates me. Yeah. Wow. Uh, someone, I, th- I think you'll appreciate this. Someone once uh, described. The first, you know, few sessions that we did together and I was kind of going through the basics of intuitive eating and I was giving them that sort of unconditional permission and teaching, teaching them to give that to themselves and, and find that compassion. And um, she came back in one day and she was like, Wendy, I got to tell you, it feels like you have taken me from a crowded room with a hundred different people into a room by myself and I can actually think again. Like I can ah. start to listen to my body. And I was like, that is such a cool metaphor. I'm using That's that. <laughs> one. I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah. You know what? Out of the mouths of our patients, I swear. Oh yeah. My gosh. yeah. She was also the same client who came into me with, you know, eight or nine diet books the first time I ever saw her. And she was like, these are all the, this, these are all the diets I've failed. And I was like, Oh, you are iconic. I am so excited about you. Like, give me those books. I will burn them for you. Like, (laughs) talk. Um, so yeah, I I learned a lot from her. She was some of the things I think we do actually, there's there's a a relational transaction where we really do learn from our patients. It's truth. So, um, I, I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I feel like we should wrap this up. So what okay. are you, um, what are you working on right now? What do you want to promote your Instagram? Obviously, but. Oh yeah. Instagram has been so much fun. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I'm doing a, a few talks for those who are there. Well, this will be, I don't know when you're publishing this, but I'm, I'm speaking at the international association of eating disorders professionals. And I'm giving a talk in Los Angeles for the Cal. I forget which group it is. It's either Los Angeles dietetic association or California. In fact, mm. I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going into the lion's den because there'll be some folks there talking about intermittent fasting and other stuff. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go in and rough it up and give people another way to think. <laughs> Ooh, I'll, yeah. Okay. I'll have to look into that about coming to that because I will happily be in your cheering section. Yeah, no, I thought I, thought I was going to sit that out. I want to be in that energy. I thought, no, I need to be the wave maker. I got to go yeah. back to my roots, you know, the way Rocky did when he went back for his third championship fight. Yeah. Yeah. The eye of the tiger, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, four people probably haven't seen the movie, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm here for it. I'm absolutely, you know, you've got a powerful group of dietitians who are behind you and doing this work online. And I'm very excited to see how this continues to make waves in this community. Well, it's, it's happening internationally. It's the global stuff I can't get over because now we've got, golly, almost 800 health professionals in over 22 countries. And I'll be honest, I've marketed it to the United States, but not to the world, you know, but it's just, it's neat to see this really taking off because I think it's really meaningful. That's the bottom line. So it's taken off in the research world and it's taking off in social media and just regular media world as well. So, so the time cool. is a coming. The time is a coming. We need more health so professionals cool. doing this work. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I 100% agree. Um, well, that's the last thing I should, probably should promote is anyone who's interested in uh, becoming trained and certified in intuitive eating. Um, they can check out our website and we've got information there on how to do that. Yes, definitely. So I will link all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I am so grateful that we got to talk and you're actually going to be one of the first episodes because why not, you know, start off strong. (laughs) Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Evelyn. All right. Bye. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. I um, I know I learned a ton from her and I hope you did too. I'd love to know what you learned and um, you can either you know send me a DM or email me. Um, but one thing that I want to ask you is I'm just starting this podcast thing out and I got really, I'm going to be totally honest with you. This morning I was kind of freaking out because I was just, my dreams for this podcast, like I always put way too much effort into things right off the bat. And then I can't really like keep up with it because it's not, I think, I think it's sort of comes from this sort of like overcompensating place, which I'm sure some of you can identify with, but I'm learning to keep things a little more simple and scale down and also recognize that you're not going to be able to internalize information if I'm throwing too much at once, right? It's just not, it's not possible. You don't want to hear too much information at once. You'll, you won't hear any of it. So one of the things I might do is I might do this alternation where I have, you know, an interview episode. And then I have an episode where I talk about a research article or I talk about some sort of phenomenon or principle or whatever it is, or maybe I answer a listener question. Um, so if that's something that you are interested in, please, please, please let me know. Either send me a DM or you can email me at podcast at whitneycatalano.com. If you have a question that you want me to answer in depth in an episode, please email me at podcast at whitneycatalano.com. What I may do is... I may post some sort of poll or something to get an idea of what you all want to hear on this podcast aside from interviews. So if that's something you're interested, definitely let me know. But yeah, I want to build this podcast in a way that is helpful for you, that is inspiring for you, and that doesn't bore you to absolute tears. I feel like I'm pretty good at explaining, you know, heavy science-y things um, in a way that is digestible. I love metaphors and I love... um, I love personifying things that are not necessarily <laughs> um, don't have human qualities. You know, I love giving things voices. I did that all the time in my science classes, which is just uh, you'll you'll hear more of that. Don't worry. But yeah, I want you to tell me what you want to learn about and how much you want me to get into things or whatever. I am open for all of your feedback. So please, please, please let me know um, what you want from this podcast, and I will get back to the drawing board and and see what I can see what I can come up for y'all. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will talk to you next week.